Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC Fight Island, Robert Whitaker versus Darren Till. And Shaq, it's going down this Saturday night in Fight Island. Yes, Island Abu Dhabi, two middleweights looking to get one step closer to that title shot. Yeah, man, this is such a great fight. Rob Whitaker, former UFC middleweight champ. I remember the run this guy had a few years back, you know, beating Uriah Hall, beating, you know, Jacare, uh, Rafael Natal. I mean, he beat a lot of good guys. Then he won the belt against Joel Romero, defended the belt against Joel Romero, had some time off in between. And uh, we know his last fight didn't go his way against Adesanya, who's been doing his thing, undefeated world champion. And uh, now he's looking to redeem himself after some more time off against Till, who you know, you know, who was also down in the dumps, you know, two bad losses back to back to Woodley and Masvidal at 170. Some say it was a little too much too soon, but um, he bounced back with a nice win over Gaslam. But, you know, uh, I'm interested to see how he does in his second fight in this weight class now that he's, you know, a little bit more comfortable. So uh, I'm excited. Yeah, look, this fight's going to tell us a lot about both guys, because with Robert Whitaker, we said that, man, it's going to be tough to come back the same after the, those Yoel Romero wars, and then you saw the subsequent fight against Izzy, he got knocked out. And for Darren Till, man, he had some bad results at 170 the last two fights against Woodley and Masvidal, but he goes up to 85. He beats a top-five guy in his middleweight debut. He feels like this is the right weight class for him, but we're going to find out firsthand Saturday night because Robert Whitaker is the ultimate test at uh, middleweight. Yeah, Robert Whitaker is the ultimate test. In the fight, uh, a former world champion in your second fight i mean that's a success so till uh he ain't asking for no easy tune-up fights in this new weight class i mean he's he's coming right in and he's swimming with the sharks yeah no doubt about it well uh shaka let's get right down to business because first up in the bantamweight division we got a matchup between nathaniel wood he's 16 and 4 and john castaneda is 17 and 4 currently they got Nathaniel Wood, minus 525. The comeback on John Castaneda is plus 415. Well, look, uh, John Castaneda is no slouch. Look, coming into the UFC with a 17-4 and record, he's got all the experience you can get outside the UFC. So he's definitely paid his dues. He's definitely earned this call. It's just, do you think this is too much too soon against uh, a hot prospect like Nathaniel Wood? Yeah, you know, I don't think Wood... you know, going into his last fight, I don't think he was as good as uh, a lot of people made out to be. I think he's very chinny. Um, but other than that, I think he's a solid fighter. And, yeah, this is just too much too soon for Castaneda. Wood's like a top, you know, 25, 30 guy. This, you know, Castaneda, unfortunately, you know, this is how it works, man. Sometimes you guys, sometimes these newcomers have to take that short notice ass whooping in their debuts to get in. And I think that's probably what's going to happen here. Uh, Wood's too fast, too sharp for this guy. Better everywhere. So, yeah, I got Nathaniel Wood. Uh, maybe Castaneda lasts a little longer than most uh, debutants in this spot just because he's a little bit more experienced. But I, I think Wood should get the finish somewhere along the way. Yeah, look, Castaneda is tough as hell. Um, obviously, he's got some Mexican in him, so you know he's going to come to fight. And he's experienced, he's seasoned, so he definitely earned that UFC call. It's just that now we're going to see, are you a prospect or not? Because Nathaniel Wood, I mean, his nickname is The Prospect, and he's very legit. And I agree with you. I was also kind of like, man, that that's a shame that he lost that Dodson fight because I thought that was a very winnable fight for him. But regardless of that, you know, I, I think it's important for every fighter to take that first UFC L, and hopefully now he, he's going to come back better from that. 
And uh, look, man, he's got nice calf kicks. His ground game is on point. If he can take the back, he can maybe lock something in. But bottom line is, I think Nathaniel Woods got more tools to win, so I'm going to pick him to get this one done. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got a matchup between Ramazan Amiv. He's 18-4, and and Nicholas Stolze is 12-3. and Currently, they got Ramazan Amiv minus 425. The comeback on Nicholas Stolze is plus 340. Well, Shaq, I mean, we've talked about Ramazan Amiv many times, and we said that if you're not quite ready for the clinch master, he's going to go out there and win an easy decision uh, against you. Now, I'm not quite convinced that Stolzi's had the proper seasoning outside the UFC. Look, he comes in with a good record, but to fight Amiv is a completely different ball game. I mean, you think he rises to the occasion, or is this going to be a tough out in his debut? Another one of these, uh, you know, the short notice debutant is gonna have to uh, take that take that ass open right off the bat. You know, I like Stolze, you know, maybe down the line, but this is a whole different ball game now that he's in. And you know, Amiv, this is a good fight for Amiv to go in here, do his typical thing, you know, bomb off on the punches, tie this guy up, calf kick him, you know, do the whole do the whole Russian coast bit and and win a, a lopsided decision on the cards and. And uh, go home, you know, back to Russia. Like, you know, Stolzi, he's a, he's a, he's solid, but it's just you can already see in the clinch that Amiv's gonna, you know, kill the clock here and beat him up. So I got Ramazan Amiv. I think he's better everywhere. I agree with you, man. You know, to to come into your UFC debut and fight a guy like Ramazan Amiv and to win, you got to bring something serious to the table. You got to present some real threats to him and. While I like Stolze, he's exciting, he's solid, he's paid his dues to an extent, I still think he hasn't fought anyone on this level ever before. And, I mean, you know, not to, you know, give him shit about some of his losses, but, you know, he lost to two guys with losing records by decision. It's not like he got caught by decision. And whether they were robberies or not, the fact that you're not making it clear enough against guys with losing records What's going to happen when the clinch master gets you up against the fence and kills the clock and does the whole bit? So, yeah, I, I think you said it well, man. I got Ramazan Amiv here uh, via decision. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Betch Kohea, she's 11-4, and four, and Pani Kianzad is 12-5. and five. Currently, they got Pani Kianzad minus 155. The comeback on Betch Kohea is plus 135. Well, Shaq, it actually opened minus 115, Pani Kianzad. So they opened it a pick with a slight lean on Kianzad. But the public's ran away with it. They feel like, hey, uh, Kianzad's the clear-cut winner here. And, I mean, look, Betch Kohea's fought with basically all the best women in the weight class. So this might arguably be a step down for her. Uh, do you think that matters, or, or you got Kianzad here? I think Kianzad looked good her last fight. You know, I think she uh, did her thing against Rose Clark. But, you know, I'm not so 100% sure to just go ahead and say, oh, man, Kianzad, you know, she's turned the corner. But, you know, it, it did seem like a couple years back she had a rough stretch. And then uh, she fought of Julia Avilia, got beat up pretty good in that one. And then, you know, she did her thing against Rose Clark, won every round, uh, you know, kept the punches straight. I, yeah, I mean, I, look, I think she's younger taking less damage somewhat uh, than uh, Betch Kohea, a, a little faster, a little sharper on the punches, 100%. It's just uh, I still consider Betch Kohea, like, you know, for these younger, you know, more inexperienced girls in the UFC, a, a little somewhat of a tough test. I mean, look, Betch, yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people like to talk shit about her, but Betch is still a tough test, man. She beat Jessica I. She beat... Uh, 
you know, Shayna Baszler when that meant something, uh, you know, uh, She's she's meeting some uh, some good girls, man. But yeah, you know, Beth is slow, but she's got a lot of power, and maybe that power makes uh, Kianzad a little bit hesitant to throw, and uh, maybe this starts becoming one of those close split decision type of fights. So I wouldn't, I don't personally don't have that conviction on Kianzad. Yeah, I, I slightly lean her. I think she's younger, fresher, taking less damage, a little faster on the punches. I don't see Betch uh, being the type to necessarily shoot the takedowns. And I also think that her last fight against Eubanks, Eubanks just completely, uh, you know, fell off. I think she blew herself out in that first round. It was a very dominant first round. Um, but yeah, I think Kianzad will pr probably, you know, beat her to the punch with the straight punches when Betch is looking for those big hooks and, uh, you know, edge out a decision. But I'm not as confident, confident as everyone else is. Yeah, look, I think that Kian Zad's probably the cleaner striker. Like you mentioned, those straight punches down the pipe. So I think she's going to come out here and win the first round. It's just that I think Betch Gohea is a lot tougher than her. I think she's more experienced. I think she's fought better fighters. And if in that second and third round, Kian Zad starts dropping off the output or maybe she gets clipped with something and, you know, the fight starts getting a little tough, that that's where I favor Betch Gohea. And I know it... You know, the punches might not look the prettiest, but, you know, in her last fight against Sajara Eubank, she was a massive underdog, and she proved that if you're not quite ready for this level, Betchko Hea is going to go out there and win that decision. And honestly, man, all of her losses, minus the uh, Ronda Rousey one, were all close fights. Like, even the Holly Holm fight, those first two rounds were pretty damn close. So I feel like she's being competitive with the best fighters in that division, win, lose, or draw. And I'm not quite sure that Kian Zad's quite there. So I'm actually going to go with Betchko Hea to win the second and third round and edge out this decision. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Tanner Bozer, he's 18-6, and six, and Rafael Pezoa is 10-1. and one. Currently, they got Tanner Bozer, minus 265. The comeback on Rafael Pezoa is plus 225. Well, Shaq, you see what a big knockout will do to your betting line. I mean, he goes from a pick -em to now he's a minus 265 favorite. Is that warranted for Bozer? I mean, is this a clear runaway matchup for him, or you think uh, Pezoa might have something for him? Yeah, you know, I'm not too impressed with uh, Pessoa. He's kind of wild, sloppy, you know, uh, tough big guy, 265, so he's got some weight, height, reach, and, and all that against Bozer. So he's got some good things going for him, I guess, but Bozer's a lot faster a lot more sharper with the shots, uh, just a lot more knowledge of the striking game. Pessoa, he, he's exciting, but, man, there's a lot of openings. Uh, and, uh, the Surreal Gone fight, you know, no, both of them lost the Surreal Gone, but, man, the way he lost, it was like, uh, I don't want to say a quit job, but it was like, you know, <laughs> he just was completely nowhere near that level as where Bozer, you know, yeah, he got his ass whipped too, but he had a little bit more to offer. Um, I feel like... Uh, as long as Tanner Bozer doesn't back up against this guy and, and, you know, you know, be a little hesitant to throw and move backwards, he should be fine. I, I do think he can find a knockout somewhere along the way. I think Pessoa leaves a lot of openings. It's just, uh, you know, minus 260 is a little bit much. You know, I, I feel uh, you feel like Bozer's better as, like, one of those underdog type of fighters. But, I, I like I said, I'm not impressed with Pozoa. Um, his last fight against Hughes, Hughes just didn't throw, you know. So if Bozer does something like that, you know, maybe maybe Pessoa's a little live, but I'm going to go with uh, Bozer. I think he's the better fighter. Um, minus 260, it's a little much, but we'll see.
Yeah, look, Pezoa is exciting to watch, man. He's a big boy uh, for heavyweight. You know, he's going to be a lot bigger than Tanner Bozer. He's going to have like a three-inch reach advantage. He's going to have a height advantage. And in the early going, Pezoa is a dangerous dude. I mean, he comes out there throwing all kinds of kicks. And, uh, you know, if uh, Tanner Bozer is resting on his laurels just because he got a first-round knockout his last fight and he didn't take this one seriously – then, uh, I mean, Pezoa could be live for a knockout. And another thing I want to say, I wrote this down, is that uh, these quick turnarounds haven't exactly been going according to plan for some of these guys. You got uh, Roosevelt Roberts. He looked the best he's ever looked against Brock Weaver and then looks the worst he's ever looked against Jim Miller. Cody Stamen looked the best he's ever looked against Brian Kelleher and then looked the absolute worst he's ever looked against Jimmy Rivera. So uh, these quick turnarounds on Fight Island is definitely something to pay attention to. I'm not saying that's going to be the case here, but just something to, to take note of and pay attention to going forward. But, hey, Bozer's got a quick turnaround here, so let's see exactly what his training situation is like. Because going into the Lins fight, that was the skinniest he's ever been. You know, he lost 10 pounds. He really put in a lot of work for that fight. I'm just curious to see if he can uh, translate and carry that over here. And if he does, I think he should come out here and win, you know, throw more volume, kind of outpoint uh, Pezoa. He's just got to be careful in the early going because Pezoa can crack. But uh, aside from that, Bozer should come out here and outpoint him. So I'm going to go with Bozer for the win. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got a showdown between Movsar Ivloev, he's 12-0, and, and Mike Grundy, or as they like to say in the UK, Shaq, Grundy is 12-1. and one. Currently, they got Movsar Evloev, minus 200. The comeback on Grundy is plus 170. This is a fantastic prospect showdown, and we're super high on both guys. And look, Evloev's a, a guy that, you know, we used to call him Little Khabib. We still call him Little Khabib. And I, I thought for the longest time he was going to fight a bantamweight. But so far, his UFC opponents haven't really made him pay for the size difference because, you know, when you're in there with Sungwoo Choi, who, you know, probably doesn't belong in the UFC or uh barzola who is a great fighter but actually just dropped to 35s his last fight you know it, it makes sense why he was able to do the kinds of things he did in those fights you know set takedown records push a seriously high pace here with grundy i think it's going to be a little tougher man because grundy is a super physical guy like for grundy to make 35 he's got to cut his leg off you know what i mean Shaq? and uh like i could see grundy ending his career at 55s whereas mofsar has no business uh at, at 55 but bottom line is you know i, I would say that Movsar has more volume on the feet, but Grundy's the harder hitter. So on the feet, it's going to be interesting because I'm curious to see if Movsar wants to come out here and actually throw that volume like he did against Barzola or if he's going to be a little more hesitant because of the power coming back at him from Grundy. And then the wrestling exchanges, obviously, I'm very intrigued to see what happens there. I could see takedowns on either side. It's just about who's going to dominate down the stretch. And what I did notice about Evloev is that Man, if you make him work, he will get kind of tired. And I feel like here with the size of Grundy, this could be a this could be a recipe for an upset in the second and third rounds if most are still working so hard and it's hard, it's difficult to get you know Grundy down to the mat. And he's not having as much success standing either. I could actually see an upset situation. So I think this fight should be lined closer. So for that reason, Shaq, I'm actually going to go with Mike Grundy to upset the undefeated uh, Movsar Evloev and hand him his first uh, career loss. Yeah, man, this is a really good fight. Uh, Mike Grundy had that nice win over Nad Naramani in his debut. You know, uh, he looked very impressive. I know he had the one previous loss to uh, my boy Webster Stasiak on the local scene. And, you know, uh, like you said, Mazar Evloev 
called him little Khabib, great transitions on the ground, good boxing. I thought his last performance against Barzola, I feel like, uh, personally, I don't feel like he didn't get enough credit. You know, I feel like a lot of people are kind of saying, oh, you know, he got taken down, uh, you know, like, you know, kind of like what you were saying. Uh, but man, I feel like that was a big step up in competition in comparison to his previous opponents. And, you know, one aspect where I feel like, you know, a guy like Barzola will, uh, throw threaten him more is like, you know, Barzola's at 35. So I just feel like he has a much more faster pace. I feel like that was much more of a faster pace type of fight than uh, anything I've seen Mike Grundy. And Mike Grundy, most of his fights, he's in uh, in the top position, laying on guys, beating them up. And Nad Naramani isn't known for his speed, pace, power, or anything, uh, anything like that. And Grundy did get rocked in that fight as well. And I feel like the improvements that Manzar made in his boxing from uh, the Choi fighter or just in e- either of uh, any of his other other previous fights uh was night and day man i feel like this guy's making a lot of improvements and i feel like to be honest he's better currently than grundy and i feel like he he project projects better to be better than grundy down the line as well so i feel like uh my grundy yeah he's got good power had a nice knockout uh, against nanaramani but i felt like for the majority of the fight he was just throwing single shots straight shots not much combinations I feel like Mazvar throws a lot more, works more. And I feel like this is a, a good Russian fighter who has a high work weight, not comparing him to you no know, Peter Yan or anything like that. But I think that just that's that style, you know, work hard, move forward. You know, even if, uh, you know, I don't see either guy necessarily getting the better at grappling, but just press him, work hard more. And I think that's how he's going to beat Grundy on Saturday. I think he's going to outwork him. I actually think that he could possibly hurt Grundy along the way on the, on the feet as well. Um, and I feel like a lot of people are sleeping on the, on the, on the competition jump that this guy had his last fight, man. Barzola, although, you know, he's not doing necessarily too hot, man. He's got wins over Benitez. He, he's got some solid wins, ultimate fighter winner. So I feel like it deserves some respect. Grundy's a tough guy, but I just don't think he's as well-rounded as Mazvar, and I don't think he's as talented. So I'm going to go with the Mazvar Evluev by by decision. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got the return of Jake Collier. He's 11-4, and four, and Tom Aspinall is 7-2. and two. Currently, they got Tom Aspinall minus 235. The comeback on Jake Collier is plus 195. So I guess there's a lot to talk about with this fight. You know, Jake Collier has been out three years, actually coming off a win his last fight over Marcel Fortuna back in 2017, but he's taking a lot of time off. And personally... I don't really think that heavyweight's that bad of a move for him because I mean he kind of has the frame already. Six foot three, has a seventy-eight inch reach, so I don't really think he's going to look pregnant like Volante or anything. Uh, I think that he could be, you know, some, you know, just a, another serviceable heavyweight. And, and here with Tom Aspinall. So when I first heard the matchup, I was like, oh, I get to fade the guy coming off the three-year layoff and this and that. I was hoping Tom Aspinall was going to be this hot prospect, but. You know, I I can't say I was that blown away by the Tom Aspinall footage, man. And you know, he trains with uh with Grundy, with Darren Till, you know, over there at Calbon, and you know, he's decently well rounded. I mean, he's knocked guys out on the feet. He allegedly has a black belt in jujitsu, which uh, you know, I I gotta find out who his professor is. No disrespect or anything like that. I mean, let's just say he's not like a Fabricio Wardoom uh, black belt or anything like that. You know, comparing uh, heavyweight black belts, but. He is a black belt, so so we'll give him that. I, I just feel like it's a situation where, look, Aspinall's got power on the feet. He's decently well-rounded. I mean, I wish his takedown defense was a little better. 
Um, I, I wish he had a little more experience so I could, you know, really know for sure that we can trust him at, at this line. But I, I'm just not quite convinced. Um, I feel like, you look, Jay Collier could come out here and lay a complete egg coming off the three-year layoff. There's no doubt about it. But if he comes out here looking anything like what he normally looks like, I feel like it could just be a competitive back and forth type fight. Like I feel like this is the best guy that uh, Tom Aspinall's ever fought in his entire career. So it could be a close fight for that reason, but it could also be a stoppage for Aspinall if Jay Collier comes out here, you know, pregnant like Volante. If he comes out here and this is some kind of joke, so I'm not really sure what to think. I'm gonna lean with Aspinall, but uh, I think there's a potential for this fight to get sketchy. Yeah, you know, I think Aspinall, there's really, he's fought all cans for the most part. Uh, like, he, he, uh, apparently he's a, a sparring partner for Tyson Fury, I heard. You know, I heard. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't tell. Allegedly brings him in, brings him in the spar, but allegedly he's a black belt. Uh, I mean, I, I like what I've seen. I, I'm not going to say anything, you know, necessarily like bad about him. It's just not against high level guys and Collier. Yeah. You know, Collier, he's kind of sloppy. Uh, and the, and let's just be honest, the odds are stacked against him. He's moving. Uh, he moved up to 205 for the Fortuna fight where I actually thought he looked pretty good. You know, my initial thoughts were, you know, Jake Collier, isn't that guy a the guy with the spins that's a complete can, you know, I know he likes to throw a lot of spins, but they, they actually kind of work for him uh, a lot of times. But, uh, you know, I feel like Collier is just, the odds are stacked against him. You know, he comes, I forget what state he's from, but it's like one of those, uh, but you know, uh, he, uh, I know. I remember that he said he trains in like a, a little woodshed gym. Like <laughs> I remember from a, a few years back. So, you know, uh, Collier, he's a tough guy, and he actually has a good pace, but he he does leave himself open. At times, he has run himself into the ground, and I'm interested to see how much he weighs at heavyweight. Uh, if if it's if it's like 240, like 230, then maybe it's a a good sign. But if he's up where you know them 250s, then it's like damn, okay, he's been he's been hitting the Twinkies hard, you know, during quarantine. So you know, uh, I, I I'll go with Aspinall. I think he's bigger. I think uh, this this weight class is more suitable for him, most likely. I think he's got cleaner hands as well. It's just that he's I've never seen anyone push back against him. And one thing I'll say about Collier is, man, he's got a good pace. His last fight against Fortuna, he moved, he moved forward the entire time. He, he beat him up pretty good. So I actually thought that was the best he's looked. So, you know, uh, maybe, maybe – I know he had a USADA suspension the two-year. I'm not sure exactly what he took, but, you know, uh, let's see how he looks. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got a matchup between Nicholas Dalby. He's 18-3-1. And the return of Jesse the Body Snatcher Ronson is 21-10. Currently, they got Nicholas Dalby minus 260. The comeback on Jesse Ronson is plus 220. Well, Shaq, uh, I didn't think I'd be sitting here with you today talking about Jesse Ronson's UFC view. But, hey, the guy, the guy worked his way back up. And, and I got to tell you what, Shaq, it's not just a matter of him you know, getting a short notice call because they had no one else. He actually finished Troy Lampson in the first round, a guy that the UFC got their eyes on. And it wasn't like, you know, he he was losing the whole fight and then caught him with some fluke. Like, Jesse Ronson beat the shit out of Troy Lampson. He dropped him. He took him down. He choked him out. Like, he destroyed Troy Lampson. Uh, so, hey, here's your UFC call. And you get to fight a guy in, in Dalby who beat Zaleski, went to a draw with Darren Till, beat Alex Cowboy, 
But, I mean, look, Jesse Ronson's been in there with a lot of tough guys himself. You already know his first UFC stint went to splits with Prezerish, with Kevin Lee, with Trinaldo. So he knows what real competition is like. Even fought Nikolai Alexakin outside the UFC, plus the, the win I just mentioned over Troy Lamson. So this kid's experience is just, is he ready to fight out welterweight at the UFC level? Yeah, man, Ronson was a, is an interesting cat, man, because I actually can see him fight. Fighting at 170s, because when I was watching his fights, I was like, this dude's pretty jacked, you know, for 55s. He's pretty he's pretty muscular. So, yeah, I, I definitely could see him fighting at 70s. And, you know, like you said, he, he fucked up Lamson pretty good. But Lamson, you know, I, watching that fight, it just seemed like, you know, a guy that's nowhere near UFC caliber. Uh, and, you know, Jesse Ronson put it on him. So, yeah, he could take care of, take care of guys like that. Um Nicholas Dalby, on the other hand, is very experienced, you know, a very smart fighter, very good IQ, very good work rate, doesn't quit. Uh, you know, Nicholas Dalby, you know, when I all those things I just said are kind of like intangibles, you know, uh, he's work rate, very smart, you know, he, he, uh, Things like, things like that. The only issues with Dalby is he's very chinny. You know? <laughs> he gets dropped a lot. He gets rocked a lot. And he charges straight in at times, which leaves him, you know, super open for, like, straights and uppercuts. And that's what gets him into trouble in some of his fights. But other than that, man, he's got a very solid MMA game. The the ground game's on point. You know, he switches stance. He, he's very solid. And Ronson, man, he kind of surprised me because I – you know, I forgot about those three splits back in the day, but, you know, I, I went back and watched a couple of them. I mean, look, he's, he's solid. Like, the kid can strike 100%. Like, he, he definitely knows what he's doing on the feet. It's just his issue is the decision part, you know? Like, he's not a guy that's going to go, go out here and, and win a decision against these UFC caliber guys, in my opinion. I think that he can fight tough, possibly, and give you, you know, if, if you're laying chalk against him, I think he could possibly give you a scare, uh, you know, just because he is a good striker, he, he does land a, some good shots in a lot of his fights, and he's fought freaking top-notch competition throughout his career, even outside the UFC as well. Fought Natan Schulte. Uh, you know, he, he touched Schulte. Schulte is kind of a punching bag a little bit, but, you know, he... Uh, it's just the fact that when it goes to the cards, things don't go Jesse Ronson's way. So, you know, like... As far as throwing the stab on him, I, I don't think it's possibly worth it. But I do think he's going to fight tough just because I feel like Dalby is, you know, like I said, a good fighter. But there's a there's a limit you have to go with a guy like Dalby because he gets dropped in a lot of his fights. And he's not a he's not a physical specimen. He, his game relies on, you know, he you know, he, his uh you know, his his attacks need to be on point, you know, for him to have success if he's off then he's going to be really off, you know. So I'm going to go with Dobby by decision. I, th I definitely think he's going to outwork him, you know, uh, switch stance, press him against the against the cage, just use the whole, you know, well-rounded MMA game. But if he stands in front of Jesse Ronson, then uh, this could be a, a interesting fight because Ronson does have some good striking. But I'll take Dobby to outwork him by decision. And uh, Jesse Ronson might be complaining robbery again.
<laughs> Look, it's funny. When this fight got matched up, I was thinking, man, I'm probably going to come out here and bet Dalby. You, you know, you, like you're telling me a guy that beat Zaleski, went to a draw with Darren Till, and beat Alex Cowboy is going to lose to Jesse Ronson. And I was also like, Jesse Ronson in the UFC and this and that. But then, then you watch the tape, and it's actually a closer fight than the odds indicate just because of how Dalby fights and that Jesse Ronson, he's pretty damn experienced. He's pretty damn well-rounded. And with, with Dalby, you know, a lot of his wins in the UFC, like, come down to the wire, man. Like, that fight against Alex Cowboy, one-to-one -one going to that third round. And it looks like Alex Oliveira is actually about to steal the decision. But, you know, uh, the ref had had an underdog <laughs> shot. Yeah, that, that was one of the worst stand-ups I've ever seen in that fight. I was like, yo, what the hell? Like, did they, you know, they cost Alex that fight? You know, the ref uh, took the underdog shot on Dolby there. He's like, wait, wait, I can't, I can't, I can't go out like this. He's like, get, get back up, man. Well, <laughs> and then It was in Copenhagen, so they were probably, fans would have probably started throwing beer if Dolby would have lost and shit. Yeah, you already know the deal, man. I mean, Dolby was a nice, un nicely sized underdog in that fight. So the ref was like, dude, uh, you ain't you ain't ruining my night, Alex. Uh, get back up. So, but here with uh, Jesse Ronson, I see it being another kind of close fight. And on the feet, you know, like you said, Dolby's a little chinny. But not only that, his takedown defense uh, needs a little work too. Uh, takedown offense is on point. He got a lot of takedowns against Alex Cowboy and. You know, I think it's going to be a back-and-forth fight, and I'll say Dalby slightly edges it. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Francisco Masuranduba Trinaldo, he's 25-7, and seven, and Jay, the black country banger, Herbert, is 10-1. and one. Currently, they got Francisco Trinaldo, minus 145. The comeback on Jay Herbert is plus 125. Well, Shaq, this is a really interesting matchup in the lightweight division for a lot of reasons. Uh, one thing about the last few guys that have been fighting uh, Trinaldo is that they all kind of ran away from him and kind of tried to outpoint him. You know, John McDessey, Alex Hernandez, Evan Dunham, James Vick. Like, a lot of them didn't go toe-to-toe -to -toe with him. Uh, Bobby Green kind of did, but, you know, Bobby Green actually got dropped in that first round. Now, here what I'm trying to say is that Jay Herbert's not going to run away from Trinaldo. He's actually going to go out there and try to fight Trinaldo, which can be a good thing or a bad thing. It can be a good thing because Jay Herbert's right hand is that right hand down the middle. That's his money punch, and that shit uh, is put down pretty much almost every single person he's fought. So he's got a lethal right hand. But on the flip side... The takedown defense isn't the best, and you see him not only get taken down, but get, but give up full mount, give up back mount to guys that are nowhere near UFC caliber. Now, you got to give uh, Jay Herbert a lot of credit. He survives those spots, comes back, knocks these guys out. The thing here with Trinaldo is Trinaldo's so damn experienced that if Trinaldo gets on top of Jay Herbert, I'm not convinced that Jay Herbert's going to be able to get back up. And on the feet... I mean, look, Trinaldo, this is the first knockout threat he's thought he's fought in a while, man. He's got to be careful here because that right hand of Jay Herbert is money. And, uh, you know, they start standing and banging in the pocket. There's, there's upset potential. There's a chance that Jay Herbert can go out here and, and actually knock out the very tough Francisco Trinaldo. There's also a chance Trinaldo can land some stuff on him. I don't think Jay Herbert has the best chin. But offensively speaking, Jay Herbert is a monster for sure. So what, what I think is going to happen is I think Jay Herbert's going to get in his face. And if Jay Herbert can't knock him out, I see Tr uh, Trinaldo actually mixing in takedowns and having a lot of success on the mat in this fight. So I'm going to go with uh, Trinaldo to, to win another decision and uh, show why he's one of the, the most badass guys in the lightweight division. Yeah, man, this is a, this is a good matchup. And I like, I like the, the signings of these guys like Herbert and, 
you know, some of these other, like uh, Yuri and some of these other, you know, experienced uh, newcomers, you know, you know, in their 30s, had some fights you know, already in Cage Warriors, a Cage Warriors champ. So I like this Herbert guy, you know, coming in, I was thinking, man, what newcomer, what, what this guy Jay Herbert do to get two bookings with the Casey and Trinaldo out the books. <laughs> I was like, shit, like what this guy do, man. But man, you know, uh, kind of like his fellow countryman, Leroy Le- Murphy, man, they're, they're throwing these, uh, these London dudes right in there with the wolves, man, the Casey and Trinaldo were his first two matchups. So man, I, at first I was like, you know, Trinaldo's going to absolutely kill this guy. But the more I started to watch uh, Herbert, man, I was impressed. I was like, you know, this guy's pretty good. Like, I, I definitely feel like he could fight with, like, McDessie and, like, you know, uh, Bobby Green, all these guys, man. I feel like you could throw him in there with all those guys. Uh, very experienced. Uh, he's got a very good faint game in and out. Kind of has, like, a similar style, like an orthodox style to that dude Sato. Like, he kind of, like uh, – like just faints, 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 and then explodes with that right hand, like you were saying uh, earlier. And Trinaldo, like you said, man, it's kind of, I feel like there's two different versions of Trinaldo. Like, you know, like you were saying, uh, a lot of guys are scared of him. I mean, dude hits super hard, you know. Uh, it's Master and Duba. Of course dudes are scared of him. Alex, Vic, all those dudes, Bobby Green, all those, and McDessie, all those dudes had a, a game plan of trying to, uh, trying to avoid him but then I've, I've, I've also seen a, a different Ronaldo where like you said if there's a knockout threat present for him then maybe he's a little bit hesitant maybe he's not throwing as much and I feel like in a lot of his fights he has spurts of that like the Alexander Hernandez fight even though we all know you know, who the real winner of that fight was. I had a bet on Trinado. There is not, you know, 100%. He could have done more, you know, he could have thrown more. Uh, you know, Alexander Hernandez, in my opinion, isn't as much of a knockout threat as Jai Herbert. Um, I know he knocked out Darius, but I think it's safe to say at this point that that was one of the bigger flukes uh, of the, of the later decade, you know? So I think that, uh, no, I'm just kidding. It wasn't a fluke, but <laughs> you know, uh, I think that uh, Jay Herbert, if if uh, he comes ready, I feel like he can make Trinado a little bit hesitant to throw, which could make this fight a lot more closer, a lot more closer, and maybe Jay Herbert could either edge out a decision, a controversial decision, a decision, whatever, or potentially get a knockout. But then now we on the Jay Herbert side, we have no idea, if, you know, if this if his chin could take this kind of power. Uh, definitely a big step up in competition, but just from the outside looking in, it seems like he's had the right buildup to this type of moment. It seems like he's had, you know, the right fights. It seems like he's been tested, but like you said, he has been given up full mount and Trinaldo has gotten some takedowns. I remember he took down Vic, if I'm not mistaken, a couple of times, uh, you know, uh, he, he definitely has gotten takedowns, but he necessarily hasn't held the guys down, but you could tell Herbert's uh, grappling clinch game uh, still needs some work. So that's a that's a so I definitely think Trinado should be the favorite. But I, I agree with where it's lying. You know, right now, currently, you know, a slightly lean uh, Trinado, but he's getting up there in age. Those are the type of guys that you know I wouldn't argue against fading. You know, I feel like he. You know, I don't think he's like on a decline per se, but I just think that he's stagnant. I think it's the same old Trinaldo. You know, uh, if if he feels like he might get knocked out, he's gonna, you know, the the volume's gonna slow down. And I do not think Jai Herbert's gonna run away from him at all, man. And I feel like a newcomer, man, he might be 
You know, this might be, you know, in comparison to McDessie and uh, Bobby Green, these guys got all surgeries and baggage and, you know, McDessie, I mean, that guy's fucking, that was a waste of time. He didn't even fight Trinaldo, <laughs> you know, like Benson Henderson and them were trying to like weasel the judges like from the state. It was, it was sad to be honest. Um, so, but I mean, I slightly lean Trinado, but from a betting perspective, uh, I think it's Herbert or pass. I, I feel like he can get this upset. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got the return of Hamza Himaev. He's 7-0. and And Rice McKee is 10-2-1. Currently, they got Himaev minus 1250. The comeback on Rice McGee is plus 800. Well, Shaq, a couple things we got to talk about. So, obviously, this is the biggest favorite on the card in Himaev. He looked unbelievable in his UFC debut. But, you know, he's dropping to 170 for this fight. So he's got to drop at least 15 pounds since the last time we saw him. And these quick turnarounds on Fight Island, the guys haven't actually performed their best. But this is a super favorable matchup. I'm curious to see what he looks like at a welterweight. And another thing I want to say is, you know, people are calling this kid a future world champion. And while I agree, he's definitely a top prospect. I mean, look. He, he looked amazing against John Phillips, but, like, you know, Charles Bird looked amazing against John Phillips, too. So I think we need to relax a little bit and let him develop. You know, he's going to run. You know, Jack Marshman beat John Phillips. <laughs> like, dude, tons of guys have beat John Phillips. Uh, and, uh, look, he ran through him, no doubt about it. But, like, Charles Bird ran through him, too. And people are like, are you comparing Himayev to Charles Bird? No, I am not. That's not even close to what I'm saying. All I'm saying is that. If much lesser dudes ran through John Phillips, then it's no surprise that Himayev did too, is what I'm saying. Now, Shaq, I know you recall when we max bet Luis Pena to beat Richie Smolin, the, the leg lock guy. And one of the reasons we max bet uh, Luis Pena in that fight was because we watched uh, a three-round fight between Richie Smolin and Rice McKee that actually went to a draw. And we were like, dude, n- none of these fucking guys like belong here. And now Rice McKee, interestingly enough, he has a knockout win over Jay Herbert, so he's he's definitely paid his dues since the uh, Richie Smolin fight. He's definitely you know gone on a win streak, done what he's got to do to get this opportunity. So he's gonna come out here. He's got a nice record, you know, uh, ten and two. He's been doing this thing, knocking guys out. But that but Saturday night is where that ends, man. Uh, I feel like his takedown defense isn't ready for Himayev on the feet. Himayev's got some stuff too. I just see Himayev going out here and uh, running through uh, Rice McKee. So I do think the line is warranted in this spot. Yeah, man, I, I like this. Uh, I like what I saw. I know it's Phillips and all, but just the way the kid was talking afterwards, man, I, I definitely see this guy uh, creeping up towards the rankings at some point. You know, I feel like they got him on the slow build. There's no need to uh, rush it, you know, give him these Rice McKees and these, uh, you know, Phillips, these guys, you know, so he can smash them. But, yeah, we already know what the deal here, man. It's about to be Matt Return City. This guy, Matt, this guy, Rice McKee, is about to get his ass He's about to get put through that ringer, man. He better be ready. Uh, you know, if, if he, what he should do, man, if, if Kamzat does get that rear naked choke, just go ahead and tap, bro, because, you know, you don't want to, you know, get, you know, some more life-changing damage. Because, you know, these these guys named Kamzat and these Evs and these Ovs, man, they'll torture you, especially, you know, Rice McKee, who's had a, a little bit of a shaky history on that map, man. It, it could possibly get ugly in there, but as far as Hamza Chimaev in general, man, I, I actually like what I see. I like his uh, charisma. I, I, I think he's going to be the real deal, man. They just need to give him the right matchups. A lot of times, man, they, they rush these things, and then they throw the kid in there with, like, you know, freaking Jeff Neal or something, for example. But, like, you know, like... Uh, 
or like, you know what I mean? Not Jeff Neal, but like something a little bit too much. But as long as they keep giving him these matchups, I see him wiping out all these guys. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got a matchup between Alex Cowboy Oliveira. He's 21 and 8. And Peter Sobata is 17 and 6. Currently, they got Alex Cowboy minus 175. The comeback on Peter Sobota is plus 155. Shaq, this is an interesting fight, man, because uh I feel like, look, I know why Alex is favored. He's beat the better competition. It's Alex Cowboy. You know, who doesn't love Alex Cowboy? And he's a very want, physical guy. You want me to just make this short? How what, what bullshit is what bullshit is Alex Cowboy gonna do to make this one close? <laughs> well, I mean, what I'm wondering is is this really a situation where one back take and the fight's over shortly after, or is Alex Cowboy going to just kind of bully him and beat him up in the clinch? So that's what I'm curious about. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, man, I can see this fight going plenty of ways, man. I, I honestly feel like there's a chance Alex Cowboy stops him early, you know, with the need of the body, you know, Peter Sabata at times has, kind of, you know, shelled up and, and not fought back at times. Uh, man, what was that fight? What was the fight where he went down to the front kick? Uh, Kyle Noak. Kyle Noak, bro. Oh, my God. You remember that one? I actually bet on his aspect. <laughs> and like, he went down to the front kick, and, you know, he had the, the nice one against Dolby. But uh, from what I heard, man, Dolby was hitting the lid real hard, for, you know, at, at the time. Uh, and then uh, – then he had a uh, beat Ben Saunders. You know Ben Saunders shouldn't be fighting anymore, and he he has, he shouldn't be fighting for a while now, man. Somebody needs to stop him. But uh, and then his fight with Leon Edwards, you know, got his ass beat. No shame, Leon's a top four or five guy. So um, Peter Sabata, I feel like you you know he's a Dean Lister black belt. He definitely has the the uh, tools to you know put Alex in some of those bad spots on the mat. It's just. I have a feeling. It's just a feeling that Peter Sabata isn't the toughest guy in the world. That's just a, a personal feeling I have. Now, Alex Cowboy, I feel like physically speaking, he should come out here and really put it on Peter Sabata out in space, in the clinch, even, you know, could get some takedowns. I feel like he's the better fighter all around. It's just that at this stage in his career, with how many times he has shown you he would like look Max Griffin for example. Although he did get the win, I mean Daniel is Max Griffin anywhere near the caliber of Alex Cowboy in their primes? Like it's not even it's not even close. You know what I'm saying? Uh, is Nicholas Dalby anywhere near Alex Cowboy? You know when they're at their best? No. You know uh, Gunnar Nelson. I mean even in that fight, man, Alex had him you know busted up good and then. What happens, man? He, he consistently does the Mike Perry fight. What the? I know Perry's good. He's tough. But, man, you know, I felt like Alex, that was a winnable fight. He was touching Perry up in that first round. And then the last two rounds, he just runs away and stops fighting. It's just continuous stunt on stunt. What stunt is he going to pull now, you know? Uh, I, I'm going to take Alex. I think he's the better fighter all across the board except, uh, you know, just straight jujitsu, obviously. But uh, I feel like Peter Sabata does have a, a path to win with that with that aspect. But I'm going to go with Alex. I feel like at some point he's going to hurt Peter to the body or with a straight punch uh, and get the win. But uh, from a betting perspective, I just can't. Minus 170 and Alex sounds like trouble, you know. Yeah, it definitely does. Uh, I mean, like you said, look, Alex is the better guy here. Physically speaking, he's probably got more skills across the board. Uh, no doubt about it. It's just that. 
if Peter Sabata doesn't get knocked out or badly beaten, all he needs is one back take, one takedown, and he might finish the fight shortly after. I think his jiu-jitsu is good enough. And one thing I liked uh, that Peter Sabata said in his interview is that since the last time he fought, which was about two years ago, he actually uh, brought in a like some Polish uh, boxing coach to live with him, and he's been training with him every single day. So at least he's been addressing some weaknesses in his game, You know, working on his boxing every single day for the last two years. We already know his jiu-jitsu is on point. So if he can kind of not take too much damage on the feet here and kind of weasel a a little bit kind of run or run away and then mix in that entry get to the back and choke him out i think he's got a path here and i'm actually going to take him uh for the upset uh but i know it could go very wrong early you know because i know that like you said i agree with you he ain't the toughest i'm worried about alex cowboy bullying him and breaking him it's just that one back take one full mount uh and the fight might be over shortly after so i'm gonna go with peter sabata here to opportunistically finish alex cowboy on the mat now, next up in the light heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Paul the Bear Jew Craig, he's 12 and 4, and Gadzi Himurad Antigulov is 20 and 6. Currently, they got Paul Craig minus 130. The comeback on Antigulov is plus 110. Well, Shaq, Paul Craig's usually a guy you want to play at big dog odds because you're hoping for this comeback finish. But here, you got to lay a little bit of chalk on him. Now, granted, how do you see this one going now? Would you lay the chalk on Paul Craig? Yeah, it's an interesting fight, man. I feel like Paul Craig uh, was kind of gaining a little steam. But then, I mean, I forget who fought recently that fought Paul Craig. Um, but, yeah, man, anyways, I just feel like uh, this is a close fight. Yeah, Craig, he's been doing better in a lot of his fights, not getting as dominated as he did in the past. But at the same time, guys, Mauricio Shogun Hua has no chin, and he, he gets not um, – uh, he gets rocked every single fight. I mean, this is facts. Like, um, Mauricio Shogun Hua, like, this fight with Little Knock's about to be crazy because I feel like it's the first chance uh, we could see a double KO. Um, I feel like, uh, but I feel like Antigolov, his last two fights, I mean, they've kind of been borderline stunts. And we know the deal with Antigolov. He's coming to get the first round sub. And if he, and if he can't get it, then he's most likely going to get knocked out. I feel like Craig's stand-up has improved. It's just that Craig does a lot of questionable things like the, the Menafield fight. Like, for example, like I actually thought he could have probably picked Menafield off at, at range, but then he goes for a, a crazy spin and then gets knocked out like it was so unnecessary. He was like, dude, what the fuck was that? But then he comes back against Shogun and, you know, uh, went to a draw with him, which deserves some respect at, on some level. So, you know, I will give him props. And I slightly lean him just because I feel like Antigolov isn't – actually, I'm going to go with Antigolov, man. I feel like it's a 50-50 fight, but I feel like after these two losses, maybe Antigolov – comes a little better i think it's gonna be a crazy one round type of fight though like i feel like uh antigolov needs to make sure this is over but i can't you can't be con too confident in either side uh but i'll just i'll go with the russian here you know it's gonna be tough even though craig's finished russians before i think uh antigolov uh, is gonna get revenge but it's gonna be a this could possibly be uh the winner getting a 50k bonus yeah, this is a tough fight to call, man, because obviously Antigolov hasn't been out the first round in the UFC. And just in general, uh, let, let me look up this stat that I was looking at earlier because I, I believe in his 20 wins, 17 of them have ended uh, in the first round, if I'm, if I'm not 
mistaken. So basically, this guy's a first round finisher. And with Paul Craig, he's kind of a comeback kid. You know, he got that comeback against Nzechuku, the comeback against Anka Leave. So, you know, you start to gas out against a guy like Paul Craig. He can do some opportunistic stuff. His stand-up's definitely been getting better. I wish his takedown defense was a little better because I think Antigolov's going to come out here and put Paul Craig on his back right away. It's just what happens after that. I think if it's a first-round finish, that kind of favors Antigulov, but it go, if it goes past that, from what we've seen, Antigulov doesn't really have the gas to go three hard. So I'm going to lean with Paul Craig. It's just that laying chalk on a guy like Paul Craig sounds like a sketchy uh, situation to me, but I'm going to still lean him, so we'll see what happens. Now, next up in the strawweight division, we got a matchup between the former champion, Carla Esparza. She's 16-6, and six, and Marina Rodriguez is 12-0-2. Currently, they got Marina Rodriguez minus 175. The comeback on Carla Esparza is plus 155. Well, Shaka, one of our top prospects in the strawweight division, just got the biggest fight of her life, a huge step up in competition against the former champion, Carla Esparza. And, I mean, look, this is pretty cut and dry, man. On the feet, Marina Rodriguez is going to light up Carla Esparza. It's just how many takedowns do you see Carla Sparza getting here? And do you think she'll be able to keep top control and steal uh, some of these rounds? Because we, we know what's going to happen on the feet here. Yeah, you know, I feel like this is a good fight for, for uh, Rodriguez, man. I, I, I like Esparza. She definitely kind of uh, evolved along the years, you know, from her prior self who had completely no stand-up. Now she, you know, can threaten a little bit. But at the same time, man, she's still going close with these girls that I consider nowhere near Marina's level, you know, uh, karate hottie. I feel like that fight could have went either way. The Grasso fight, I felt like she edged it, but you know, we, we know what happened in the third round and, uh, the Janderoba fight. That was Janderoba's debut, but you know, there was some, it was a good fight, man. I feel like as far as it's tough, you know, definitely gets good, uh, takedowns. The, the issue is I just don't think she has the top control as, uh, in comparison to, uh, uh, Calvillo, for example, I know she, I know she beat Calvillo uh, back in the day, but I, I, I feel like Calvillo's uh, jujitsu and, and top control and the way she passes is a lot better than Esparza's, man. So I, I feel like Esparza's more so just laying the guard, you know, try to kill clock that way, that type of grappler. But um, I feel like, yeah, like you said, this is a, this is borderline a mismatch on the feet, in my opinion. I feel like the low kicks are going to be a, a big, big weapon. She can't get too happy with those, but I feel like Marina could bust her up in the clinch as well. Uh, and I feel like she looked the best she ever had. But yeah, she needs, she needs to continually get better on that, uh, on that wrestling. But man, this girl's only been a pro fighter for five years. Half of that was in Brazil, where we know the, you know, the, the female MMA isn't necessarily the best. Uh, and you know, she didn't get a, you know, she didn't get an opportunity to fight, you know, uh, you know, uh, for example, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, some of these small, like, uh, a Danielle Taylor or, you know, how like Yan Zhaonan fought Suri Kondo or, you know, uh, Kylan Curran, <laughs> like, you know, she didn't get a chance to, to warm herself up with competition like that, man. She had to 
go in there and start fighting number 13 right off the bat. So I got a lot of respect for Marina. And I feel like this is the fight where she finally, finally puts uh, some of those grappling questions to rest. And I feel like she might even get a finish, but I'll say just a, a dominant, dominant win over Esparza. Esparza is a tough girl, but I actually think there's a chance where she gets hurt in this fight, like dropped. Like, you know, uh, I mean, when you look at her fight against Grasso, she got hurt badly in that fight. Um, and she just leaves a lot of openings on the feet where, you know, girls like Karate Hadi, who are not as vicious, not as mean, are, are not going to capitalize uh, on those type of spots. Jander Roba and, uh, and, uh, and Grasso aren't, aren't, aren't going to capitalize on these spots, but I feel like the the length and the just the viciousness of Rodriguez is going to take her to a, a, a decision win here and a dominant decision win. So I got uh, Marina Rodriguez. Yeah, look, Marina Rodriguez has been super impressive uh, in her UFC run, and she's been passing every single test with flying colors. I know the two draws, which, I mean, you and I both know she won more rounds in those fights than she lost. I kind of disagree with, you know, the 10-8, but it is what it is. You know, you learn and you move on. And I feel like she has been making progress in in her get-up game. Uh, Even in that Cynthia Calvillo fight, like, what people need to understand is that when Cynthia Calvillo takes these other girls down, they usually get choked out in the first round, like Botelho and all these other people she finished, uh, whereas Marina Rodriguez took the damage, then she gets back up and keeps marching forward. So that shows me that, you know, she does have the wherewithal up here, mentally to keep pushing forward she doesn't break and obviously on the feet now i mean obviously like we can talk about you know the volume difference and the striking technique difference and all that stuff but like what about the distance and the range for carla to close this distance and actually take down marina rodriguez she's gonna have to kind of charge head first like joseph benavidez and i feel like when she does that she's gonna eat so many shots up the middle it's just marina's gotta like you said not be too kick happy like when, when you throw a kick at her you know pull that kick back real quick don't let her catch the kick and take you down because like the only takedown she landed against karate hottie was because karate hottie threw a lazy ass kick and got taken down with it you know what i mean uh but but I, I don't really see that being the case here, man. I, I feel like Marina knows her distance well. She's so much taller. She's so much longer. She's so much more vicious. She has more potential. This is going to be uh, the biggest win of her mixed martial arts career, man. So, And I do kind of see this being like the Joanna versus Carla fight. And people will, will counter me and say, but Joanna has elite takedown defense. It's like, yeah, now she has elite takedown defense. Now that she has, she's at ATT. But if you actually backtrack, she wasn't at ATT for that Carla fight. And back in the day, the biggest criticism for Joanna Janjacek used to be her takedown defense. I know you remember the first uh, uh, Cla- uh, Claudia Gadelia fight. I know you remember even the Carla Esparza fight. That was before she was at ATT, and she was still she still had enough to go out there, stuff those takedowns, and light up Carla Esparza. So I see a similar thing happening here with Marina Rodriguez. I think she's ready for this big test. I think she's going to come out here and pass it. So I'm going Marina Rodriguez uh, to get the biggest win of her career over the former ch- former champion Esparza. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between the former champion Fabricio Vicavallo Wardoom. He's 23 and nine, and Alexander Gustafsson is 18 and six. Currently, they got Alexander Gustafsson minus 330. The comeback on Fabricio Vicavalo were doom is plus 270. Shaq, I'm just going to start off by saying I think this line is off, man. I, I feel like this is a case where I know where doom looked like shit his last fight against Olenek, so that's kind of where it's coming from. But, like, 
Gustafsson looked like shit his last two fights, too. Gustafsson even retired after the Anthony Smith fight. And let's talk about that Anthony Smith fight because people try to act like, oh, Gustafsson was owning him, and then he just lost to the comeback kid. And that's not what happened. Anthony Smith was actually out there winning rounds against Gustafsson. Anthony Smith won the first round against Gustafsson, and then, you know, he took him down in the in the fourth round and, and choked him out, you know. And uh, the last two times that Gustafsson was on the mat in his last two fights, he was – he was finished shortly after. And one thing about Fabricio Werdum, I know he didn't look his best his last fight, you know, coming off the layoff and this and that, but, like, he still landed takedowns in that fight. He still landed takedowns the fight previously against Volkov. And, and I truly believe that had the Volkov fight been a three-round fight, there's a chance that, you know, it might have been a split decision. Like, those first two rounds, the all that whole fight was close until the fourth round. Volkov ran away with it, but, like, Werdum was landing takedowns throughout those first three rounds. So all I'm saying here is that, I heard an interview with Wardoom. He said that for the Olenek fight that, you know, it was at the beginning of the pandemic. So he had no sparring partners. He didn't do any strength and conditioning. He barely trained for it. Whereas this time, you know, after all the criticism he received, he said this time he had a complete camp. He brought in people to spar with him. He did strength and conditioning. He did the whole bit. So I'm expecting a better Wardoom here. And with Gustafsson, it's like, you know, I'm not going to disrespect him and say he was overrated his entire career, but like, because <laughs> it's like he had the one good fight with john jones where it was documented that john jones didn't train at all for it john jones still beat him and that's about the extent of it you know they fought again i heard john was uh i heard john was at, in vip at the strip club doing coke before the fight you know what I mean? Like the week before, literally. So, and John still won. Then they rematch. John takes him down one time. The fight's over shortly after. So, I'm not buying this whole Gustafsson's back thing. And now he's moving up to heavyweight. That's desperation. I mean, he retired. He said, I don't have it anymore. You never heard where Doom say, I don't have it anymore. Uh, so, I, I just think that, look, if it's a pick em fight, then maybe, you know, whatever, you can roll the dice. But, like, where Doom should not be plus 270. If you got in on that plus 300, I think that's the way to go. This is a dog or pass fight, in my opinion. Look, if Wardoom just comes out here, looks like shit, gets knocked out, all right, it is what it is. But, like, at these odds, I think you got to be willing to roll the dice. I'm going with Wardoom for the upset. I think he takes down Gustafsson and submits him. Yeah, man. This is a uh, – yeah, you know, yeah, Wardoom looked like shit his last fight, 100%. You know, he, he looked – he looked bad. He to uh, I mean, not too, but you know the USADA situation. So you know, Verdum is definitely trending down one hundred percent. But to sit here and act like Gustafson is any much better, I mean, you know, and I know this might offend some people, but kind of like uh, kind of like Benavidez in a way. Like last week, I feel like Gustafson's one of these guys that have been coddled his entire career. Man, I feel like. This guy, what's his record in his last 10 fights? Like three and seven, you know, like four and six, three and seven, somewhere, something like that. But like, you know, I feel like this guy, I'm not going to say he's been overrated. I think he, at one point he was a top contender, but for the last like four or five years, what has he done that's of any significance? Like this guy went out there, uh, you know, you know, for the first fight against John Jones, a lot of people thought he won. A lot of people thought he would do good. He, for all those years, he was saying, "Everyone knows I. Everyone knows I beat John Jones." But then, you know, you you get stopped against Rumble in Sweden. 
you know, you kind of have some wins here and there. You get your, your rematch title shot. We saw what happened there. It was to the goal, but, you know, you, you got finished again. But then Anthony Smith, before that fight, I already could tell Gustafson was looking to check out because going into that fight, he was saying, man, you know, if I can't beat Anthony Smith, then, you know, maybe maybe I shouldn't be doing this anymore, you know. And uh, that's exactly what, <laughs> that's exactly what happened. And Anthony Smith didn't just beat him. And like you said, the whole notion that uh, Gustafson was out there, you know, edging the rounds and, and won every round up until that point is an absolute joke. I mean, from what I saw, it was a guy, you know, who was running away, terrified, and, uh, you know, and I feel like he's very mentally weak. You know, you put him in those bad spots, man. He'll check out and it'll look to go home. And Verdum, one thing I know about Verdum is he ain't never been no quitter. Now, Verdum, he can't move and he's a punching bag at this point. So if Gus moves on the outside and hits him with the uppercut or straight and knocks him out, you know, but if this fight gets sweaty and, and in the clinch and dirty and grimy and it becomes a slow, sloppy, ugly heavyweight fight. Best believe my boy Fabricio is about to break that ass because this guy, Gustafson, man, you can just hear the way he's talking, man. It's just, he has a very, very weak mindset, man. And uh, I'm going to go with Verdum as well. I feel like, I, like I said, it might piss some people off, but Gustafson's one of these coddled guys that, you know, I'm not saying he's got yes men around him or anything like that, but, you know, he he takes, he takes the L against Smith. He retires out of you know and i get it bro you got you got you you know you got embarrassed in your home country but i mean bro how many times have we seen you know other top-notch guys on gustafson's level get embarrassed and you know they 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 go back to the drawing board and they and they come back you know i mean it happens all the time but this guy he's looking to check out of here man and uh then a month later he says he's fine now man he he's a he's a he's an emotional wreck He's mentally unstable, and I'm going to go with uh, Fabricio Overdome. Co-main event of the evening, we got the trilogy between Mauricio Shogun Hua, he's 26 and 11, and Antonio Hogerio Noguera, Lil Nog, he's 23 and 9. Currently, they got Mauricio Shogun Hua, minus 185, the comeback on Antonio Hogerio Noguera, is plus 160. Well, I mean, look, it's pretty much lined the exact same way it was when they fought at a UFC 190, you know, the, the night that Ronda Rousey fought Bech Cohea. So it, it's one of these situations where we've seen them fight twice before, and both times were really close, man. I mean, even that last time, uh, Hojero Noguera had Shogun doing the chicken dance. Shogun had to resort to the takedowns to win that fight. And I know both are on the decline. You know what's funny that I actually didn't realize? Lil Nog is 44. Like, holy shit, I didn't know he was 44, but damn, my boy's getting up there in age. But, uh... Shogun's kind of going down too, man. I mean, like like I told you earlier, if you would have told me a couple of years ago that Shogun was going to a draw with Paul Craig, I would have been like, yeah, okay. But I mean, that's the case now. So I could see it going either. I could see it going either way, man. I, I feel like I wouldn't be surprised if Noguera came out here and knocked him out. But I'm gonna lean with Shogun. He's beat him twice before. He knows what he's got to do, and he can always revert back to the takedowns to get it done. So I'm gonna lean with Shogun here. But at the betting window, I would just pass and enjoy two legends uh, scrapping it out. Yeah, that's a key. Like you just said, if he goes for the takedowns, we know that's where Little Nog struggles at, and he struggled there throughout his entire career as on the wrestling takedown side. And his chin ain't the best, but Shogun, man, 
if they start banging and this becomes a firefight, you know, I feel like Little Nog is live for a KO, but I got to go with my boy Shogun. And this is a fight, man. I just want to sit back and enjoy and watch these two legends. You know, this is going to be the last time we see Little Nog uh, in there. And Shogun, man, you know, he's coming down to an end. I mean, Shogun was the man when I first started watching this sport, man. He was that dude, uh, you know, out here knocking Leota Machida and Chuck Liddell and these guys, man. So it's good to see both these guys uh, still at the top, at somewhat the top of their game, still uh, fighting at the top of these UFC cards. And But I'm going to go with Shogun. I, I think he, you know, mixes it up with the low kicks, the inside low kicks, and gets the takedowns. Main event of the evening in the middleweight division. This is going to be a banger, Shaq. We got the former champion, Robert the Reaper Whitaker. He's 20 and 5. And Darren the Gorilla Till is 18 and 2. Currently, they got Robert Whitaker minus 125. The comeback on Darren Till is plus 105. So, man, it's a pick em with a slight lean on the former champion, Robert Whitaker. And I know we said that after those two Yoel Romero fights that both guys weren't going to come back the same. And Yoel ended up dropping his next two fights. Uh, Whitaker got knocked out his next fight, so we were right about that. But now that he's had a little bit of time off and, you know, he, he's facing a former welterweight until, man, he's a, he's a huge middleweight for being a former welterweight. He's been doing his thing. Do you think that this is a good matchup to come back to or do you think that maybe uh, Robert should have stayed uh, away from the game for a little longer? This is an interesting fight because, you know, like we were saying earlier, if you would have told me, you know, a couple of years ago that Till and Whitaker would have been a pick em, I would have been like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> you know, Rob, Rob, man, you know, I feel like Whitaker was a great champion. You know, the OL fights were, you know, legendary, great fights that some people still don't think he, I know people to this day, that say Yoel got robbed, they say that was one of the biggest, <laughs> the second fight, that that was one of the biggest robberies of all time. But, uh, you know, I, I still think Whitaker did enough to uh, get the job done. And we know his attack, he kind of leaps in and, you know, throws these big, vicious, looping hooks or, you know, uh, you know, comes up with a head kick. And, man, to be honest, like, I think, you know, he had a great run, but, you know, just you know, disregarding this till fight, I just feel like long-term, I do not see Robert Whitaker ever. Well, I know he ain't getting his belt back. I know that for, for a fact, but I don't ever see him having the success that he once had. And I'll tell you why. I feel like his style is very, it's good offensively, but defensively, man, he fights with his hands completely down. And the way he enters the pocket is just like, you know, just leaping in and, you know, with guys like Till who throws straight shots or Israel Adesanya who throws nice straight punches, man, he's meeting them right in the middle. And and that's why he's been getting rocked in a lot of his fights. I feel like Yoel Romero could have even possibly knocked him out or, you know, won the decision if he just, uh, you know, upped the volume. But for whatever reason, we know, uh, we know Yoel, doesn't like upping the volume, you know, he gets up two rounds against Izzy and then he stops fighting, <laughs> you know, so, but I think, uh, I don't think Rob Whitaker will ever be the level that he once was. Now, Till, on the other hand, I don't want to make the, the you know, jump the gun and be like, oh, Till's a new man at 185s, you know, he he's back, you know, he had the, a nice, he had a nice win over Kelvin, I thought he, I don't know how that went to split, I thought he clearly won, I, I thought he, you know, uh, 
practice shots well, look good the first two rounds, but I'm still seeing signs of tilt. You know, he does this weird thing where, like, you know, when they get in close, he, like, reaches his hands out and leaves his chin, like, just like a statue sky high in the air. And against better guys, best believe another KO loss is, <laughs> is incoming, like, Best believe you put him in there with Paulo Costa and some of these other guys, bro. He, that that chin's about to be up there in the in the upper decks, man. <laughs> I think uh, I feel like it's a like a year ago I'd have been like Whitaker wins this fight all day, and and I slightly do lean Whitaker. Um, I feel like he has more power. I feel like Till is good and he's got good timing, and I feel like he could possibly in the later rounds. Uh, I feel like Whitaker has a very physically taxing style, a bouncing style that in the late rounds, you already seen, you know, him make mistakes that where in the late rounds, he starts dropping those hands that that bouncing movement slows down. It's very, you know, he could get dropped and, and possibly knocked out. The thing with Till is, man, I just feel like he throws the same combos over and over again. I know he's got the one, two in the left hand, but. I mean, hey, that's all he's needed. Who am I to tell him it's gotten him this far in his career? Um, but I, I lean Whitaker. It's not a very confident lean. I just feel like he has more power. I feel like he's a little bit more stronger. Uh, and I feel like he could get a, a possible, like, second-round knockout, possibly. But I, I have my doubts on that. Um, but from a betting perspective, it would be dog or pass for me. I, I, I feel like Whitaker... You know, I don't want to say it was an overrated champion, but it was more of uh, I feel like he was just keeping that belt warm for for my boy Izzy or Paulo Costa. You know, I feel like both those guys. I mean, Izzy already ran through him, but I feel like, you know, those two guys will, you know, beat him 10 out of 10 times. But um, I'll go with Whitaker by third, second, third round knockout. Close fight. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, look, the thing with Whitaker is that when he was champ, he was ahead of all the top guys at that point in time. Because back then, you know, it was the Chris Weidmans, the Michael Bisbings, the Jacarays, you know, those were like the Luke Rockholds, you know, those were the top guys in the weight class when Rob came along and won the belt. So he was clearly, you know, ahead above all those guys. It's just that now, like you mentioned, the new middleweight division, you know, Izzy, Paulo Costa, like it's a completely different generation, right? So, Rob did what he had to do back then, and I remember when he was supposed to fight Michael Bisbing, you know, for a number one contender fight, and I still to this day think he would have beat the great uh, Hall of Famer Michael Bisbing, and I was actually going to bet uh, Whitaker in that spot, but, you know, fast forward, he's lost his belt, and I think it's a situation where the early going definitely favors Whitaker, but the later rounds favor Till, and, you know, um, Till actually dropped Wonderboy in the fifth round of their fight, and Till's a guy that gets better as the fight goes on. It's just one of these things where you're right about, you know, the limited, you know, uh, shot selection or whatever that Till brings to the table. It's just that he's really good at disguising those shots, man. He's really good at making it count. Like, he knows exactly when to throw that two, the one-two, the left kick, and he makes it work. Like, he's at the highest level making that shit work. So he's really good at disguising his game. His feint is on point. He makes himself look really big inside that octagon, the way he puts his arms uh, wide apart and this and that. And with Whitaker, man, he throws some violent stuff at you, man. I mean, those head kicks he was throwing against Izzy, they didn't land against Izzy, but they might land against someone else. And they were they were being thrown with vicious intent. And I think he's going to come here a little bit more calm than he did uh, against Izzy. Izzy was like a suicide mission. It was like kill or be killed type ordeal. I mean, it's always going to be kill or be killed with Rob. But I'm saying I think if he has a little more control, he'll have more success. 
Um, this is this is a tough fight to call because I feel like Whitaker's got more skills. He's more well-rounded. He's got a, a wider arsenal. But Till might be a little hungrier just in the sense that Whitaker's already won the belt. He's already defended the belt. Like he doesn't need this shit anymore. Whereas, you know, Till still goes to bed every night dreaming about that belt, dreaming about that day that he can have that moment with that belt wrapped around his waist. And that hunger counts for a lot, man. Uh, you see it a lot. And, and he's coming off the title fight loss. And you're, it's always sketchy when the champion comes off the title fight loss, that first fight back. You never know how they're going to do. You saw how Tyron Woodley did his first fight back against uh, Gilbert Burns. Now, this is a completely different situation because I know Robert Whitaker's actually gonna throw his hands his his feet everything so you know it's uh it, it's gonna be an interesting fight i lean whitaker tyron stop, tyron stop backing into the fence <laughs> like I, I lean i lean whitaker in the early going but i feel like you know this hits the third fourth and fifth round and till can definitely have some success till could definitely drop whitaker and, and knock him out he might be able to kind of intercept him or counter him when when uh whitaker is charging forward but it, it, it'll be interesting. I, I lean with Rob Whitaker. I think he's the better fighter here. It's just that, you know, sometimes it's not the skill of the man. Sometimes it's the will of the man. And I'm not saying Whitaker has, doesn't have the will. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying Till is still hungry to touch that belt one time in his life. Whitaker's already accomplished that. So, you know, that, 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 that has to count for something. I'm going to still lean with Whitaker here, but we'll see what happens. It's a close fight. Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC on ESPN 14? My fight to watch is going to be this uh, featherweight fight between Mazvar Ivloyev and Mike Grundy. You know, I feel like uh, the winner of this fight's a big-time prospect and deserves a big fight next. And when you get these prospect showdowns, man, you got to appreciate them because, you know, a lot of times they like to, you know, keep the prospects away from each other so i like this fight this is my fight to watch yeah it's definitely one of the fights to watch for me my fight to watch is going to be francisco trinaldo versus jay herbert i mean this is going to be a, a lot of fun because Jai Herbert's not going to try to run away from Trinado. He's going to actually come to fight him, which in turn is going to, we're going to see what Trinado's got left at 41 years old. You know, everyone's always counting him out, but he's uh, an ageless wonder and he's got a very tough opponent in front of him. So for that reason, Trinado versus Herbert is my fight to watch. Well, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC Fight Island 3? My fighter to watch is going to be Marina Rodriguez. You know, she's got one of these weird uh, UFC records. She's 2-0-2. And, uh, man, if she can remain undefeated with a win over a, a big win, uh, like a dominant win over a former UFC champion in the Spartans who's on the streak herself, I mean, I feel like she's a, a couple fights away from the title, man. Uh, you know, it seems like that strawweight division at the top's changing a little bit, so... You know, uh, Marina Rodriguez to make it from Contender Series Brazil. Would she beat what? What? Who's ranked higher? What's their rankings? For what? For Marina? Yeah, and Carla. So basically, right now, they got Marina number nine, Carla number seven. Uh, you know, so if she gets this win, she'll you know beat a top seven, which means top five is next. So Marina Rodriguez is uh, my fighter to watch. For me, my fighter to watch is the former heavyweight champion of Fabrizio Vaikovalo or Doom. I mean, this is a guy that he beat Fedor when Fedor was on his big run. He dethroned Cain Velasquez. And just because he had one off night coming off a huge layoff and, you know, an un, and a not ideal training situation, now he's being massively counted out against a guy who's not even a heavyweight, a guy who retired his last fight, who got stopped his last two fights. So this is a big moment for Ward Doom because if he loses to Gustafsson, 
It might be time to call it quits, but if he can get another big win here, that's a win over a former UFC title challenger. We'll get him right back in there for another big fight. So this is a huge moment in Wardoom's career, and for that reason, he is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down this Saturday at Fight Island, Whitaker versus Till. They can follow you at MMA Genius 05. They can follow me at Best Fight Picks. They can get our plays at bestfightpicks.com. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, all the places where we are available. We'll be back next week for the Edmund Shabazian versus Derek Brunson card, which is going down August 1st. So we truly appreciate all your support. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.